0: Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. This is your host, Joel Dover, and welcome to Season 3. Hey, we study Bible prophecy here from a dispensational, pre-tribulational, pre-millennial point of view, and we're always rapture ready. Grab your copy of God's Word, and let's jump in together to see what the Lord has for us here on the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. Well, hi, friends. Welcome back to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. So excited to be back with you this week. Uh, looking forward to all that God will share with us as we break open the word of life, the bread of life given to us in the word of life, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, through his inspired and holy word. Grab your copy of God's word with me, and let's begin in Revelation chapter 11 as we continue our study and look at part B of chapter 11. Last time we were together, we were talking about the two witnesses that the Lord sent to be uh, gospel preachers to give the proclamation of the Lord's glorious gospel to the world In the last days. So, we learned that in the tribulation period, these two figures will come. They will be miraculously protected from harm. For three and a half years, they will proclaim the gospel to the world, and the entire world, the Bible says, will hear their proclamation. How is that, we say? Well, obviously, the technology that we have today makes it possible. Probably the case in the last days. At the end of three and a half years, the dragon is allowed to kill the witnesses, and they lie in the streets there for a period of time, three and a half days, and the Bible says the world celebrated, right? And so they sent gifts to one another, they were making merry, because the torment of the prophets now, the prophets of the Lord, is over. But the Bible says that three and a half days later, the breath of life from God came into them again, they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon everyone who saw them. And then, of course, they... Uh, heard the voice from heaven calling them up. They were called up. They ascended into heaven in a cloud in the presence of their enemies. A great earthquake hits the earth. A tenth of the city of Jerusalem falls. 7,000 people were killed, and everyone else was afraid and began to give glory to the God of heaven. That doesn't mean that they became Christ's followers. It simply means they acknowledged that this was the hand of God. Now, in Revelation 11, verse 14, the Scripture says, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And that's what we're studying today as we get into the seventh trumpet, picking up in Revelation 11 and verse 15. And we're just going to cover a few verses today, going through verse 19. So really a bite-sized teaching as we get into it. But why don't we jump in? I'll be reading from the New King James Bible, which of course is my custom. I invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word, or simply listen if you're on the go, as I'll be reading these particular scriptures together. So here we go, the seventh trumpet, and it's the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Okay, verse 15, the Bible says, Then the seventh angel sounded. So this happens, of course, after the two witnesses ascend into heaven after the earthquake, after a tenth of Jerusalem falls. There's a sequence here. Remember, friends, to read it in sequence, take the Bible at its plain literal meaning, unless we're given a reason to do otherwise. So then the seventh angel sounded. And the Bible says, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign, how long? The Bible says, forever and ever. So listen, in verse 15, the seventh angel now in sequence blows his trumpet, he sounds his trumpet. And as he does, the Bible says, there were very loud voices that speak forth from heaven, And I want you to listen to the proclamation that they make, because it's a beautiful proclamation about the kingdom of God, like the actual literal kingdom of God upon the earth. They speak out here and said, the kingdoms of this world, think about that. We're talking about the nations of the world, the kings, the administrations, the governments of the world. They have become, according to verse 15, the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And so listen, there's a shift that takes place here. Uh, It's a heavenly pronouncement of the inauguration of the reign of Christ on earth. So there's a, a falling, if you will, of the authority of all the kingdoms of the earth, and every kingdom on the earth comes under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So clearly, this is Christ beginning his inaugural reign and rule of the literal kingdom of God upon the earth. Now, some will say, Pastor, is the kingdom of God not already present in the earth? And I would say the answer is yes and no. We all understand that when we came to know Christ, that we became citizens of heaven. We know that the Lord purchased us with his own blood. If you've been born again, he has sealed you unto salvation with his Holy Spirit, and we are a part of the Lord's church, a part of his family. So in the spiritual sense, listen, we are already a part of the kingdom of God, but that's spiritual. In the literal sense, Jesus is not yet literally reigning and ruling from Jerusalem as he will do During the millennial kingdom. So right now, Jesus is still at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He is not reigning and ruling from earth. The literal kingdom of God, which will be set up when the Lord returns at the second coming, uh, has not yet been set up. That is still yet future. So we learn here in verse 15 that the earthly kingdoms have fallen, at least their authorities have shifted so that they are no longer ruling the earth that every kingdom comes under the control of Jesus Christ. And the beginning of the forever reign and rule of Christ that was prophesied in the Old Testament, it begins. So the whole world comes under the control of Christ. Think about Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, where the Bible says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given, listen, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Now go back to verse 15 here in Revelation 11, and the Bible says in that verse, look at the end of the verse, and he shall reign forever and ever. So this this verse here, so this verse in chapter 11, verse 15 is a direct fulfillment of that Daniel 7 prophecy. Think also of Isaiah 9, 6, the purpose of Christ's coming. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice, listen, from that time forward, even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then think again about Daniel 2 and verse 44, uh, where, uh, of course, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is having this vision, the statue vision, remember? Where he sees a statue made of four different metals. And in Daniel two forty four, the Bible reads, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms... And it shall stand forever. So in that passage, contextually, friends, uh, Daniel is talking about that last day's kingdom, the rise of what I think is to be a revitalized Roman empire, ten nations led by the little horn, the Antichrist, who subdues a number of those kings, who leads that conglomerate, and who rules and reigns in the last days, in the tribulation period, until, of course, Christ comes and destroys him at the second coming, defeats he and his armies at the Battle of Megiddo, Armageddon, har And uh, sets up his literal reign and rule upon the earth. So look, uh, the Bible says in Daniel that the kingdom that the Lord establishes, that Christ establishes, shall, shall stand forever. So it's an eternal kingdom, just as what we're reading here in chapter 11 of Revelation in verse 15. So this is the proclamation here in 1115, the seventh trumpet that begins the movement towards that forever rule of Christ. It's his literal kingdom. It begins at the end of the tribulation, and as I understand the scripture, it lasts on the earth for 1,000 years, a very specific and literal time frame. Then comes the judgment where uh, there is a, you know, an awakening of the unsaved of history, the great white throne judgment. And then, of course, the recreation takes place where the end of Revelation speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. Now, if you've ever seen a NASCAR race, Here's how I want you to think about what we're reading right now, because this is kind of the beginning of the race, leading up to the end. It's the beginning of the the proclamation establishing the Lord's kingdom. So think about this as the green flag. The green flag has dropped, and uh, the checker flag is coming. So we're we're starting now to read about the idea of the ending of it all in the Lord establishing. His kingdom here, but we're going to see that this idea is unpacked for us over a period of of chapters Now, one of the big challenges in the book of revelation is to assimilate all this information, specifically these different judgments, you know the seal judgments and and the um uh, trumpet judgments and the thunder judgments and the bold judgments to assemble that into a working timeline. Many attempts have been made to do that if you do a Google search or an online search you'll man you'll just find gobs of charts and um, you know diagrams and drawings about how these judgments play into one another. What I would point out to you simply for your Bible study is that there is a sequence here. There's a pattern in the book of Revelation where the 7th in any judgment seems to unpack the next series of judgments. So, you know, when we were talking about the seal judgments, it was the breaking of the seal judgments which unpacked the trumpet judgments for us, right? And then uh, there were the thunder judgments kind of tucked in there. And as we get into the breaking of the seventh um, trumpet here, the, excuse me, the blowing of the seventh trumpet, we're going to find that after this comes the bowl judgments, okay? So it's almost like we're beginning a series of chapters here, that are leading us into a transition between um, the seventh trumpet being blown and then, of course, the bold judgments being poured out in sequence as well. So good luck putting all of this together in sequence. I have my own ideas, but I don't want to get uh, caught up in that in this particular talk. I'd like to finish working through this particular chapter, but listen, this is a signal at least. If you think about verse 15, it's a signal at least about what the Lord is is doing here on the Revelation timeline, okay? So uh, as the the kingdoms of the world now become the kingdoms of Christ, there's a lot involved in that. Uh, We're going to see here on the timeline as we read through a final round of judgments, the overthrow of the Antichrist, the binding of Satan, Armageddon, the second coming of Christ. So the seventh trumpet begins the process, in my understanding of uh, Christ establishing his reign and rule that's consummated at the second coming and victory, of course, over the kingdoms of the earth at Armageddon. So there's some forecasting here. Look at verse 16. Let's keep going because we we don't want to spend our time on the things we don't know. We want to focus on what we can know. So verse 16, and the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell down, excuse me, fell on their faces and worshiped God. So We've been exposed to the 24 elders already in Scripture. We saw them earlier in Revelation sitting around the throne. We've already talked about possibilities as to who they are. Uh, I tend to lean towards the direction of uh, the twelve heads of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 uh, apostles. But we don't know. Let's not be dogmatic about that. Whatever their identity, it's clear in this verse that they fell down on their faces and they began to worship. And then... If you look at verse 17, there's a speech here. 17 and 18 record the words of the elders, and we're going to read this, and then we're going to see that uh, the time has come for the fulfillment of five specific prophetic fulfillments. So let's read it. They fall on their faces. They worship God. Verse 17, they're saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So let's think about these five things. If we work through those verses, the Bible is teaching us here that the time is come for Jesus to reign. So it's time. The time is now for Jesus to set up his earthly kingdom and to literally reign and rule upon the earth. Secondly, the time has come for God to finish his wrath. So we're nearing the end of the outpouring of the season of judgments that we call the tribulation and specifically the great tribulation, the second three and a half years of uh, Daniel's 70th week here. So the, the wrath is not going to last forever. It has a, it has an end date. It has a finish line. Okay. Thirdly, the time has come that the dead should be judged. Now we mentioned a few moments ago the great white throne judgment according to Revelation and we'll get here. There is a day coming when the dead will be raised. That is the unsaved dead of history. They'll stand before the Lord's great white throne. Books will be opened. Uh, these are books containing their works. And then also as a reference, the Lamb's book of life is there. And of course, being unsaved, their name is not found in the Lamb's book of life. And so each man unsaved, each woman unsaved will be standing there, judged according to their works, judged in their own sins. They will die in their sins and bear the consequences of, Of God's judgment, okay? So the time of the great white throne is coming. Fourthly, the time has come that the servants of the Lord should be rewarded. The Bible speaks of servants and prophets and saints, those who fear the Lord, great and small. So praise the Lord. There's coming a reward for those who uh, follow the Lord God. And of course, that reward would certainly include the millennial kingdom, where we will reign and rule with Christ and possess the world under the control of Jesus Christ and his authority and power. And lastly, the time has come that those who destroy the earth should be destroyed. So God is going to um, you know, bring out some destruction upon the destroyer and set some things right upon the earth. So all of this sets forth a picture for us as to what we'll see take place in the remainder of the book of Revelation. So the green flag is dropped. We're beginning the race towards the end. The checker flag is the second coming the judgment and the inauguration of the millennial kingdom. So Jesus is going to move in that direction. He's going to overthrow the kingdoms of this world by his power. He's going to initiate his literal reign and rule upon the earth. And so in this sense, the judgments that follow uh, are unlocked here by the seventh trumpet. So I, I want you to just imagine, if you will, Russian dolls. If you've ever seen Russian dolls, you start with the large doll, you take the lid off, there's a smaller doll inside. You remove that one, take the lid off a smaller doll inside. You remove that one, take the lid off a smaller doll inside. And so, and so, and so, until you get to the smallest doll in the center of them all. So friends, the way that I see this working in the scripture is that, you know, the seven bowl judgments, which are coming, are opened by the seventh trumpet. The seven trumpets were opened by the breaking of the seventh seal. So they're kind of like Russian dolls, as I mentioned, where every seventh Uh, judgment, the outpouring of that actually reveals a new series of judgments. And of course, the thunder judgments in there as well, um, which we don't have any detail about. So let's read in verse 19 and then we'll wrap it up for today. And then, uh, you know, jump, come back and jump into chapter 12 next time. But the last verse here that we want to cover today, chapter 11, verse 19, then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. So we get a glimpse behind the scene here. The temple of God is open in heaven. And John, the revelator, uh, helps us to see that sight and describes what he saw there. One thing that I think is just really interesting here is that when John sees the heavenly court, he sees the Ark of the Covenant there. I mean, people have been asking for generations, what happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Where is the Ark of the Covenant? Is it buried under some chapel in the Middle East? Or has it been hidden in a cave? Or was it destroyed? What happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Well, if I'm understanding Revelation chapter 11 right, God has it. I mean, it seems like God took it up and uh, we don't have an account of God snatching up the Ark of the Covenant, but all of a sudden we find it right here in heaven and there's no indication that this is a different Ark of the Covenant than the one that was constructed in the days uh, of Israel. The one that contained you know, the tablets of stone and the uh, rod of Aaron which budded and some of the manna from the wilderness, that Ark of the Covenant. Uh, The Bible says that the Ark was a wooden box that was overlaid with gold On the top of it was a seat that we call the Bema seat, the mercy seat. It was representative of God's throne. It was uh, in the Hebrew life. It was the place from which God issued mercy to his people. The high priest would go in once a year on Yom Kippur. He would sprinkle the, the seat and the altar and himself with blood and go in and make atonement Uh, For the sins of the people, underneath the seat, inside the ark, again, the tablets of stone given to Moses, the law, uh, and uh, the Aaron's rod that budded, the, the manna, cherubim on each side of the mercy seat with wings reaching out over it. So it's just beautiful. And I want you to think about some symbolism here. The seat, the mercy seat, rests upon justice. It rests upon the law, but it's a seat of mercy. How can that be? Well, I think that Paul gives us some tremendous insights. If you think about uh, his messages from, um, let's say, first, well, it's all through the New Testament, First Timothy, Galatians, Romans, as he describes the place of the law. And basically, Paul teaches us that, look, the law is wonderful at pointing out sin in the life of sinners. That's its purpose. If there were no law, we'd all be left to our subjective understandings as to what is right and what is wrong. But no. God has given us the law so that sin could be identified in our life. Paul says clearly in the New Testament that the law is not for a righteous person; it's for sinners. It's for those who murder their fathers and mothers. It's for fornicators, for adulterers, for drunkards, for for the angry. It's for sodomites and so on and so forth. First Timothy chapter one, and uh, so the law is good at pointing out the sin in the life of sinners. But the law always failed in providing a means of restitution. Uh, We could never truly be redeemed under the law. We know that the blood of bulls and goats could never truly take away our sin. It just made us aware that a price had to be paid, that blood must be shed in exchange for our sins. And so what the law could not do, weak in its ability to give us redemption, God did in sending Jesus, his only begotten son, born of the Virgin Mary, who lived a perfect and sinless life in our midst, and at the right time in history, climbed upon Calvary's cross, bore our sin debt in full, paid the fine that we owed the Lord because of our sins, was buried, raised from the dead three days later over sin, death, and hell, and now reigns and rules sitting at the right hand of the Father. So listen, that seat represents Not only justice, but it represents God's mercy, God's grace. You say, well, how did they know about that in the Old Testament? Oh, friend, the Bible says that even in the Old Testament times that God overlooked their sins because he knew what was coming in the future in the cross. Former times, their sins were passed over. They were overlooked because of God's mercy and because of what Jesus would do on Calvary. So salvation, friends, has always been by faith. Abraham, how was he saved? before the law and by faith the law points out sin but salvation is by faith and the covering both old and new testament is the precious blood of the lord jesus christ so we know that once a year the priests would go in sprinkle the altar with blood the day of atonement and blood flowed between the place of the lord's judgment and the lord's mercy the blood makes it possible the blood of jesus because judgment was imparted to the lamb which has been slain now in verse 19 The Ark of the Covenant is where? It's in heaven. And as we continue to read, we're going to see that both justice and mercy will be dispensed accordingly upon the earth. And what makes that distinction? Well, the presence of the blood of the Lamb is what determines wrath from blessings. So again, look, verse 19, the temple of God was opened in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant was seen in his temple, in God's temple. It's there. Where's the Ark? It's in heaven. God has taken it. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings an earthquake and great hail. So listen, uh, I want you to think about this as a warm-up. These things, the lightning, the noises, thunderings, earthquakes, great hail falling upon the earth. Think about this as a warm-up for the final judgments, the final cycle of judgments, the the vile judgments, or sometimes the bold judgments, depending on your translation, are about to be poured out. Okay, one last thing before we close. We're about to get into chapter 12. We're going to get into chapter 13, chapter 14, and read through those chapters. Chapter 15, uh, 15 is a prelude to the bold judgments, but it's really chapter 16, friends, until we're going to see the next cycle judgment. So think about the pattern that we've discovered so far in Revelation. There's a series of judgments followed by an interlude. And during this interlude, it's interesting, we're going to be introduced to to some major players of the tribulation period and of the last days. So I hope that you will stick and stay and come back with us again next week as we get into chapter 12 and begin to see these major players and identify who the players are in the last days. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. I hope this is a blessing to you. And I wonder if there's someone in your life who would benefit from this kind of Bible teaching. We try to give it to you in bite-sized, you know, amounts, and we try to drop new material every Wednesday. Perhaps there's a pastor, a small group leader, Sunday school teacher, a coworker, friend, or family member who would enjoy listening to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. I wonder if you would send them a link, share the podcast on your social media wall, or tell a church family, someone at church about it and uh, help us get the word out about what the Lord is doing here. Be sure to give us a like and subscribe so that you can be updated every time we drop a new episode. And I want to thank you again. Sincerely, friends, thank you for supporting this ministry and for listening to the Pre-Trib Prophecy Podcast. May the Lord bless you richly, and we'll see you next week.